Father, I want to thank you for bringing the team back from Cambodia in one piece and pray for Paul for his continued health and recovery. And Lord, thank you that none of us from Africa uh, so far have had any symptoms of malaria. And I pray the same for those who have come back from Cambodia, no dengue fever, no malaria, no yellow fever, no parasites or anything, Lord. Uh, We had asked that you would just keep us healthy as we recuperate and recover after such trips. Father, I also pray that you would bless the message this morning, that you would be in the midst of what is being taught, that you would actually guide and direct. And please open up our minds uh, to what your word says and how we're to conduct ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. One note about leaving. Now, I left and I was gone for... Uh, one week before Africa, I came back for one week, then I was, we were gone for another two weeks. And it, for the past three years, I have done that to some extent. And it is quite refreshing uh, to take off and, and just not have any concern whatsoever to actually try to avoid you guys. You know, Not that I don't love you guys, I love you guys. But you know, this idea that I just decompress, I just kind of get away. And I remember... When I was in Calvary Chapel, San Diego, with Mike McIntosh, and he would teach week after week, and it was great. And then he decided to go somewhere like the Philippines. And it just ruined my day when I'd show up, and he wouldn't be teaching, and they'd have somebody else. And, you know, I'd kind of, I'd kind of complain underneath my breath and thought, you know, this is so unjust. You need to tell me when you're going somewhere. So if I want to do something else, I can do that thing. And then Mike decided that he was going to become an international evangelist, which meant Ray Bentley was going to come in and be our teaching pastor on Sunday mornings. And I grumbled some more. I kicked the dirt going out like, why why are you doing this to me, Mike? You're making my life miserable, you know? And I would complain a little bit in my heart. I wouldn't really do it outward. And I would listen to Ray and I'd say, Ray, you just don't have it like Mike, you know? That's what I would say to myself. And then I I told that to the guy who was mentoring me. And he goes, you know what? If you sit there and ask God to teach you, you'd be surprised at the things that will come out of Ray's mouth that will minister to you and give you lots of wisdom and understanding. I went away and I said, fine. You know, so I took off and I came back the next week. And it was surprising how much improved Ray was the next week. (laughs) I say all that because the Lord knows what we need and when we need it. He knows when I need to get away and just kind of decompress and reflect. He knows when you need to hear a message, like from Les, the Greek scholar who was giving you the Greek words actually from the text there. And he was teaching out of Colossians and how Eric was teaching out of Zechariah. Yes, I listened to you guys. You know, that was, that was good. And for Dustin, you know, going through Peter. It, and I, I listened to you guys and I just go, oh, this is so good. You know, I just got to drink them in. And so if you get that attitude like I used to have, just ask the Lord to improve your own heart. And then you can receive the message from anybody else who might come in here at any time. So uh, it is good to be 
to be back. But I started out this morning, I was going to jump into Matthew chapter 5, and I'm not. I looked at my notes, and I said, when was the last time, I said to self, self, when was the last time you talked about mothers? And it was in 2002. For shame on me, you know, so... I thought, you know what, I better talk a little bit about mothers and motherhood. And there are all kinds of mothers who are out there. And God has an intended plan for mothers. Now, I'm not going to use this occasion to go to the book of Proverbs and discuss exactly what a good woman is and a good mother and how she needs to live up to this biblical statute and value. And if you're falling short, you just need to pray a little harder and have a little more faith, right? And be a little more patient. I'm not going to talk about that. But what I am going to talk about is certainly what God expects of mothers, you know, because it just kind of spells it out. There are a few points that I want to make as far as a biblical view of who mothers are and who they are to us and who God intends them to be. Uh, For instance, mothers in Scripture, these women are to have children after they marry. That's the biblical ideal. The biblical ideal is not to have a bunch of children and maybe get married or have a bunch of children from several different fathers. Now, this isn't meant in a way to condemn or press the thumb down of this patriarchal system in which we live under. That's not the point. Guess what's coming next month? That's right, Father's Day. I'm going to skip over that one completely. But when we... But when we get to the the women in the scripture, of course, that's the way it's supposed to be, is a young woman, and all women for that matter, should be protected by society until they do marry and they do decide to have children. And these women also, they're to remain committed to one man in a marital relationship until after That husband dies or they die first, and then they are free to remarry. This is the biblical ideal which is in there. And, of course, when it comes to anything, like being a disciple, following Christ in any way, God gives us a perfect example. He points to himself. He points to God the Father, and he says, this is how you're supposed to act by the power of the Spirit. So no matter what capacity we operate in, if we are a son of a father, if we are a father, if we are a mother, if we are a daughter... All of those things, we have instruction from Scripture in all of the epistles. It's about daily living, how we're supposed to live our lives. Romans chapter 12 says, uh, Off your bodies is a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. This is your reasonable worship, our active service towards Him. That's what we're supposed to do. So He spells out what it's supposed to look like. And I'm going to tell you why I'm saying these things in a moment. Also, with these women... If they are widowed, they are to be taken care of. Do you know who they're to be taken care of by? Their children. Now, that's first, their children. If they have no children, the church is responsible. Guess what has happened in our society? The government has come in and said, no, we're going to tax you a little more, and we're going to take your money, And we're going to give it to whatever mothers we want to give. Now, if you remember back, and some of us can remember, 
back to the Johnson administration, they started paying mothers every time they had a child, they would give them more money if they were having the children out of wedlock. Guess in their infinite wisdom what that did. It produced a bunch of men who were irresponsible. They were not there for fatherhood and the woman would get the money. And oftentimes the father of the children, the baby daddy, would move in with the mother but not be married. And then they'd get government subsistence and they'd have more and more children and it was just bad for the country. Of course, they tried to change that a little bit and it's turned around a little bit. I think these women were victims of the society in which we had constructed at that time. But these women are to be taken care of by their children. It actually says in Scripture that if you have a parent that is in need of your assistance and you are their son or daughter, even before you tithe or give money to a church or organization, you're to take care of your parents. It spells that out clearly in in Scripture. Of course, Jesus condemned the Pharisees, this thing called Corban, that you would have something dedicated to God and you wouldn't take care of your own parents, and Jesus condemned them for that particular practice. So when it comes especially to widows, we are to be taking care of the widows. We are to be taking those, or care of those mothers who gave us life. We're to make sure that they are stable in our society and they're not part of the forgotten. And when it comes to these women, it says in Ephesians chapter 6 concerning their children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right, in verse 1 through 3. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy a long life on the earth. And the implication is, if you don't treat your parents good, you may not have a long life. And if you read that in context, you go, well, how does that happen? Well, especially back then, if you didn't have the support of your parents, you know, the parents could turn you in for being disobedient and rebellious, and they could have you stoned. You know, and we're not talking about a little bit of marijuana. We're talking about rocks. And they could, they could have you stoned. Now, there's no case that they have recorded that that actually happened, but that was actually taught. That if the children are disrespectful, take them to the gates of the city and have them judged. Now, First Timothy chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, says, Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents. For this is pleasing to God. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues day and night to pray and to ask God for help. In First Timothy 5, 8, just a couple verses down, it says, If anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And so if somebody says, I can't take care of my mother or my grandmother, I can't be bothered with that stuff, you know, let the government take care of them. No, the, the command in Scripture is that we do this. Now, of course, you know, the way that things are today, there are numerous programs available uh, for women and single moms, and, and if they need some assistance, they can get it. Matter of fact, those who have been raised in this country probably have less of an advantage than somebody who is an illegal alien coming into this country. They get more money and more benefits, and I think that that's wrong too. And our society is it's just getting twisted the way that it's going. But the whole idea of taking care of the mothers is our responsibility. 
It is no one else's responsibility. It is not the government's responsibility. We do not get out from that yoke, that burden, just because somebody else decides to take it on. And so also Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. This is the task that women are to be involved in. You know, a, a young woman, she gets married, she has children, she should be, if she's a believer, she should be attending church, she should be becoming a, a disciple, she should be raising up her children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And it goes on to say, in Titus, likewise, teach the older women, when they get to that age, to be reverent in the way that they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine. What is the tendency of women in the world? Let me read it again. <laughs> not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. He wouldn't have said this if it wasn't a problem. You know, <clears throat> Alan and I, and this is, again, not to condemn. Men have their own problems, okay? And what's next month? Father's Day, that's right. Alan and I were talking uh, before the service start, started, and there was uh, some chatter on the board, on the soundboard, and, and I go, oh, what, what's that? Was this something else? And he goes, oh, no, that's just some chatter. It's some chickens clucking. And we have kind of a, a little thing going on with the worship team when I'm playing. Sometimes the women are just... Da, 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 da. And, and I had on my phone a, a little... Uh, sound wave file, and it'd be the chickens, you know, and they'd just start talking away, and and this talking, women like to talk, it's in their nature, and it's good, and they're relational, guys, on the other hand, we're monosyllabic communicators, no, yes, what, you know, that's that's what we say, but women want to say, what, give me details, tell me what's going on, they want a full you know, 265 or 56 color picture of everything that has happened in your life since the day you were born and even before then. They want to know everything about you and about any conversation, any incident that comes up. And guys are like, I don't want to talk about it right now. But women, on the other hand, they want to talk. And when they talk, Scripture says, where there are many words, sin is not absent. And so when women talk a lot, invariably... It can, not always, it can lead into the area of sin, gossip, slander, complaining, murmuring. Now, not that guys don't do that too. Hey, I'll be the first to confess. I have done that in my life at least, I think, once. Uh, you know, and so this, this idea that that's the that's how women are prone. They are prone to have the conversations where guys are not so much prone to have conversations. Guys, they have a problem that I'll probably expand on with uh, Father's Day, violence. And they also have a problem controlling the inner man. You know, that's the battle for the man. But for women, it would be slander and it would be addicted to much wine. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. So if a woman is not loving her husband, she can actually bring a, a repute. She can bring a stain on the body of Christ and on Christ himself. Now again, not that men don't have their problems. Men have their problems as well. It's just I am pointing out this is the ideal this is what Christ has set up. Now, which of you women who are mothers in here has lived up to the ideal? 
I hope you don't raise your hand because you will disqualify yourself. It's this idea no one has, and that's where the grace of God comes in, and he covers all that sin and iniquity and all the problems that we engage in and we cultivate, actually. And God says, it's all right, you're mine, you'll get this right, and he has a way of convicting us, sometimes gently, sometimes with a rebuke, but he'll let us know if we're getting off into a problem. Now, everything that I just told you about women that young women, they should be protected in society. Who? By men. Men should protect them. Men should watch over the care of all women, not just their wives, not just their daughters, but every woman who is out there making sure that they're taken care of. If you see a woman that has a flat on the side of the road and she's standing around and her phone's not working and she's going, you know, stop, help her. Tell her, no, I'm, I'm a good guy. I'm going to help you. What do you need? You know, that type of thing. That's what we're supposed to do as men. And so the women get protected, and also they should be protected by their husbands. The husband should provide for them. The man who does not provide for his family is worse than an unbeliever. It's a directive in Scripture. It's a command. It's delivered in the imperative. Some people want to skirt that and say, no, I don't need to pay that alimony or whatever. You know, I'm just going just gonna to let them float out there. I'm going to be disobedient. No, Scripture says that this is the way it's supposed to be set up. Now, if I go onto a college campus and I say this, what do you think is going to be the reaction? They are going to say, you misogynist, brought up in a patriarchal society, you're so archaic, I can see your bones showing through your skull. What do you think you're doing teaching this stuff? It's an egalitarian society, and women are just as strong as men, and women can do anything a man can do, and probably do it better because we talk. You know, that whatever the case might be, there is this war going back and forth on the college campuses with men and women, and now it's getting all confused. Are you a man or are you a woman? Well, I don't know. I'm cisgender. You know, and they go off on these, these different tangents. Now, I, I want to expand on this a little more. There is a problem in the colleges and the universities and society in general teaching about these things like the nuclear family where you have a husband and you have a wife and you have children and they endure the hardships of life and they produce children that are also giving themselves holy to the work of service to the Lord as they get older. I mean, that's the ideal that God sets up. And the world wants to say, oh, that's just ridiculous. You can't live up to that type of ideal. Well, what kind of ideal do you think we can live up to? And they try to redefine the ideal which is out there. And there is this vitriol, bitterness, venom, hatred, contempt, cruelty, and maliciousness which is out there. And there's this attempt not only to raise women to being equal to men, but being superior to men. Have you heard commercials on the radio lately? Usually it's the woman who is the smartest. And the guy's kind of, the whole, you know, he gets out there and he, he's, he's just not all with it. You know, he's, just, he's as sharp as a marble and she is just sharp as a knife. And she instructs him, even on building in the house and things like that. And that's what the commercials consist of. And sometimes it's a little more egalitarian, but they never portray the woman as being like a little bit ignorant on any one of the subjects. And that's because of feminism, the radical feminism that has risen to the top today, which is totally anti-biblical. That's not the way it's supposed to be. And let, let me expand on this a little more. If the woman is lovingly submissive to the husband... 
that is great. But it can only happen if the husband dies for the wife. And guess who has to do it first? The woman. No, I'm kidding. It's the man. (laughs) The man has to do that first. The man has to die, and then the woman can lovingly submit to the husband. And if he's not doing it, all bets are off. She is built, even physically, but especially emotionally, she is meant to be a receptor. She is meant to receive. The husband is built physically and emotionally to give. He is built with broader shoulders so that he might work and prepare an income and give it to his wife and to the family. That's just the natural way of things, that natural order that God has set up. And it's not nature, but it's the natural bent of every man and woman to want to be in that. There are those on these college campuses and universities and society that would take that and just say, let's do away with it. Now, normally during any given week, I will listen to some book on Audible. Uh, It's an app, and I I purchase books, and I listen to those. I'll listen to the Bible. I'll go through the Bible. And not every one of these do I do every week, but I also like perusing uh, YouTube for a few different people. And some of those people are, like, for instance, maybe you've heard of him, I've mentioned him before, Dennis Prager. Now, Dennis Prager, and I don't know if you've heard of this guy, Stephen Crowder. Maybe you've heard of him, or Ravi Zacharias, or Ben Shapiro, or the latest internet sensation, Jordan Peterson. I, I like, I need to say who these people are first. Dennis Prager, he's like a rabbi. He has made a um, first book, the book of Exodus. He speaks four or five languages. Uh, He understands Hebrew completely, and he's written a commentary. The first book is out. uh, It just came out, I think, last month on the book of Exodus, a commentary on the book of Exodus from somebody who's a Jew that has a Jewish perspective. And he also has a radio program, and he also does these things called PragerU. That's Prager University. And he just deals with the subjects of the day, which we are to be engaged in. We're not supposed to sequester ourselves and remove ourselves from from society. We are to be engaged with society. We are to know what's going on around us. Stephen Crowder, uh, by the way, Dennis Prager, if I didn't mention it, he's a Jew. Stephen Crowder, he's a little rough around the edges. Uh, If you listen to him, I'm just going to give you some caution. Uh, Sometimes his language isn't as clean as it should be, but he definitely declares himself to be a Christian. And he goes to college campuses, and he sets up a little table. And on that table, he'll put up two little GoPros, one facing him, one facing anybody who wants to sit down in a chair that he has there. And he usually has one or two cameras on the outside, and he'll put up a banner in front of his little table. He'll tape it on there. And it'll say, I'm pro-gun. Change my mind. And so on the college campuses, he gets this throng of people coming around. Or he'll say, I am against abortion or I am pro-life. Change my mind. And so he has a mic and he goes back and forth with these people. And I, I watched one this last week. I couldn't believe what I was hearing and what they're teaching on these campuses. And you would have people come up from behind him because he's talking about, he was talking about gender and roles of men and women. And we're supposed to know what those roles are. They're defined in scripture, what those roles are supposed to be. And so like, for instance, scripture in the Old Testament, it said a woman is not to be found in the attire of a man. It doesn't mean she can't wear pants, 
what the intent of the passage is. Don't act like a man. You're a woman, that type of thing. And so he's talking about this, but not in a biblical context. He's talking about these things in a sociological context, in a psychological context. And these people just get, you can see the sulfurous breath come out and the talons and the hissing that just comes out of their mouths and they'll sneak up behind him and they'll give him all kinds of expletives and he'll just go, thank you. And uh, I admire the guy. He doesn't lose his cool. Not one single time does he lose his cool. And he'll have these different subjects and it is just not acceptable and he gets kicked out of colleges and universities even though he gets permission to be there and some people just get all upset and try to hit him and they're violent towards him and all he wants to do is have somebody change his mind and he, he's so good at being an apologist for what is right and he, obviously he has a biblical framework that the people just become apoplectic. I'm, I'm surprised they don't burst a vein in their neck when they get all upset at him. But it's good to watch him to see how he combats those who are out there that have opposing views for biblical views. And that's what he really is talking about. Rabbi Zacharias, he goes to the big universities, Harvard and Yale and uh, Princeton, and he will sell out a crowd and they will come and they will ask him all kinds of questions about the existence of God. And we learn how to defend our faith. And he is so good at it. And Ben Shapiro, he's a young Jewish boy, you know, and he does a great job. He has his own show. uh, Fantastic. Also in that type of setting, I like to watch him. And then Jordan Peterson fighting against political language in Canada. They want him as a college professor in Toronto to use gender-inclusive language, which means whatever gender the person says you need to use, you need to use that. And he's willing to do that for each individual person, but not officially. And he says, if you don't think I should be doing this, well, find me. And if you want to find me, he goes, I'm not going to pay it. You better throw me in jail. I mean, he's standing up. And if you see this guy talk out there, I'm going, I'm watching this. And I go, yes, this guy knows how to argue. He's not even a, I don't know if he's a Christian or not. He's just a clinical psychologist. And he's getting fed up with this direction that the world is going. And so I watch these people. Now, the rest of the world, if you've been sequestered, you're probably not aware of this. But like PragerU, they have, he has many videos. And on these videos, he talks about everything, motherhood, manhood, everything. And in this particular uh, genre, he has videos that might be offensive. And so YouTube has taken down over 40 videos. These are the titles of the videos that have been taken down. How Iraq War Was Won and Lost. Cops are the good guys. Is fascism right or left? Why do people become Islamic extremists? The anti-hate group that is the hate group. Gun rights are women's rights. Why America must lead the least diverse place in America. College made me a conservative. Is the death penalty ever moral? And, you know, every one of these I'm going... I think I might like to know about those. But YouTube is deemed in their omniscience that these things need to be taken away. And when it comes to motherhood, and the reason I'm bringing this up is because motherhood and women 
are being maligned away from the biblical standard. And these are just examples. And some of the women will get on there and talk about feminism. And scripture tells us that women and even mothers, just all uh, feminists who are out there, they have been blessed by God and given a particular role. But the world wants to redefine that. And for you mothers, I want to encourage you, stick in the biblical vein of what it is to be a woman of God. If you do, you will be blessed through your life. But the world wants to take this other direction. And what's it doing? It's just like with President Johnson. It is ruining families. It has given women ideas that really are anti-biblical. It's the same thing with the men. The men are being told, don't be a man. It's toxic to be a man. Toxic masculinity. Right? It's, it's, I want men to be men. You've heard me talk about this before. I love men who are men. You know, it's just like, it's good. It's good for them to be rough and tough and used to hardships and let them go through a little bit of trial here and there and don't pull out the rug from under them, but let them fall. And then when they're there and they're ready to get up and they need some assistance, you help them up and say, are you ready now to do what's right? And eventually they will submit to that as God works through you and everybody else around them to train them into who they're supposed to be in a godly fashion, as a godly model. If we decide we want to go the way of the world, you are just, it's almost like the vernacular of our day, spitting into the wind. You're going to become a mess if you do stuff like that. And with women and mothers in general, we want to make sure that you are blessed by the way that you live your life. So there are types of mothers in our society. There is the secure nuclear family mother that has the the one to two children and has the father or the husband that is there. But one statistic by the PewResearch.org Foundation says fewer than half, 46% of U.S. kids younger than 18 years of age are living in a home with two married heterosexual parents in their first marriage. Half the country does not have the nuclear family. This is a marked change from 1960 when 73% of children fit this description and 1980 when 61% did. So you see this precipitous decline of the nuclear family and that is the basis of society. And you know, there are actually people that want to bring this demise on. They want to take the foundation of the United States, which is first one nation under God. They want to remove that completely. Then they want to destroy the family. And they want to do this solely for the purpose of cutting down America. They don't like America, the way it is founded, the way it is instituted, the way it has been running for the past 200 plus years. They are against us. And you can see this in the political realm of those who are now freely espousing uh, socialism and communism. Like, what's wrong with it? If you read any of the blogs out there, the millennials, what's wrong with, you know, communism? It should be good. And, and you might ask, how did you get from motherhood to communism? Well, let me just continue here and you'll see. And so there's this other Pew study. It reports that approximately 50% of adults over age 18 marry. His number is compared to 72% in 1960. And so there are these couples now that are cohabitating and not getting married. And guess what happens? Do you think they might get pregnant? Is the sky blue? 
Yes, it is blue. And what happens in those relationships, there is a, a, a marked increase in separation when there is a child that's a whoops child. We didn't intend this. We're living together and we're sleeping together and we're not married. And now we're going to have, I mean, what were we thinking? You know, when you get together, something like that, it's almost like common sense is just being scraped out of the United States. And we're not installing this common sense in our kids. Like there's going to be a consequence for every action. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And that's what we learned in chemistry. Well, you got to apply that to life as well. And so this idea of the nuclear family being there, it, it is only tenuous at best if people just move in with each other and they decide to have some children. And even if they plan them, my question has always been to these men who bring women into their house, is she not worth getting married to? Bringing her in as your wife? What is she? Is she just your servant? Just meant to be a concubine that has your children? You know, this I, and that's where the love of many will grow cold. It's like, come on, you guys. You haven't been taught this from the earliest days, at least the ones that are alive today, except when it gets to the millennials, they are being taught that stuff. And we need to teach our own children. As mothers, you need to teach your sons, be a man. Just like David told Solomon, be a man. Make sure that you are living a life that is pleasing to God. And to the young ladies, be a woman that is like a woman of God. And you want to make sure that you instill these things. And if you do, your children have a chance of succeeding. Remember, I just read it in the pastoral epistles, that if you honor your father and mother, you will have a long life. If you don't honor your father and mother, you may not have a long life, or it's certainly not going to be blessed. You know, I look at the children out there. There's the sex trade, the trafficking, which is out there. There's the drugs. And you've seen the pictures of the young women who have gotten into crack cocaine uh, or meth and the before and after pictures. And I think to myself, that poor young woman, how did she get to that place? Where was the father and the mother that would seek to help her, to keep her life going on the right track? And it grieves me to see that. And whenever I see those pictures, it's, it's very difficult. You know, yesterday I talked to Omar. Remember Omar, the Muslim? And I showed him a couple of pictures from um, Africa. And he could only stomach two pictures because he knows of the suffering that is in Africa. He goes, oh, I, I can't look at that. And the boy with elephantitis and the little child that had the bump on his head because the, the, or her head because the cranium didn't close up. And, you know, just the problems associated with that. And, and it grieves him even as a Muslim individual here in this country. So there are also the mothers, you know, certainly there are the mothers who are in the nuclear family. Then there are the single mothers. Separated, divorced, and widowed. Do you know that 50% of the single mothers in the states of Louisiana and Mississippi are below the poverty level? When we were in Louisiana, you could see there, there were some pockets where people were suffering, but those are the highest states in the nation. My question is, isn't that the Bible Belt? Isn't that you can turn on the radio stations and you might hit six or ten radio stations that are all Christian. And then you see this and you go, what what has happened to the influence of the church? Where's the influence of the believers? Now, I'm sure 
they are gathering together to try to help these young ladies, these families like this. I'm sure there's some programs available out there. But I'm thinking, where are we going as a country if this is an indication of right in the Bible Belt? Where's the rest of the country going to end up if this is the case? And I, I think it pretends to nothing that is good. And, of course, the government has stepped in. There is the TANF program, the Temporary Assistance for Needy Families. There's the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, which is SNAP. There's Unemployment Insurance, and there's Medicaid. And they can get a couple thousand dollars just by doing that. And so the state has taken that. And again, as I said earlier, it's not the job of the state. It's our job. But, you know, if we were made responsible for those who are around us, our own family members, how far do you think this epidemic would continue? It wouldn't continue very far if we took on the responsibility ourselves. If we started saying, look, there's going to be a consequence to this and it's going to be hard and you're not going to get everything you want and your life is going to veer off like a benchmark. It's going to just go in this opposite direction and you're going to suffer the consequences. And we need to tell our kids what's right and what's wrong. And we need to live a life in such a way that mimics what's right and what's wrong as spelled out in Scripture. Even in the way that we follow Christ because that is watched by people. I heard of somebody who recently was in a good church and Bible solid teaching church and they ended up in a church that was completely liberal and they're working singing on the worship team every other week next to somebody who is a practicing homosexual i'm thinking what what happened with that how did that happen where somebody would do that and and i think that that is a scourge on our own churches we need to be solid we need to be disciplined we need to be disciples we need to be teaching women older women you need to be teaching the younger women and the younger women need to be submissive to the older women just like the younger men need to be submissive to the older men and if we're doing this in the proper fashion our society will be good we won't have to work at it very hard it, it will just be something that is a natural outcome of the efforts that we put in and the society will be stable or at least more stable than it is right now. Right now, it is just flying off the handle. It's like a bicycle wheel that's just spinning and things are flying off the the bicycle tire and it's causing damage all around. So this traditional idea of the family, the nuclear family, it is not there so much. And, And like divorce and remarriage, You know, Scripture talks clearly about that. We'll be getting into that in the book of Matthew. It spells it out. You know, if you get married, you're supposed to remain married. And I know it's not a perfect world. I get it. I understand, and I bring no condemnation for those who have gone through it. But I have to hold up the ideal. And you know, when I hold up the ideal, all of you look at me and you go, so what are you doing? I'm a sinner to the core. I'm telling you, I am just as rotten, probably more so, than you guys, because I know, I know what's wrong, and I still sin, and I say like Paul, who will deliver me from this body of death? The things I want to do are not the things that I do, Romans chapter 7 at the end. You know, so I know this, and I am not going to point the finger at anybody. I'm just going to point to Jesus Christ and, and say, he's the one that has the grace for our problem. He's the one that will give us mercy. And you know, when we, we take these women and, and we get them married, it's all good. You know, there used to be this practice of a bride price. You know what that bride price is? Or a dowry. I like the idea of a dowry. I, I, I should probably teach the idea of a dowry more. And 
the idea of a dowry, and they still practice this in the Middle East. A dowry is where the young man who wants to marry a young woman, he goes to the father and he says, here's 20 goats for you. You're going to have some goats and I have a few sheep and a couple of camels. Now, I don't want any of that. I'll just take cold hard cash. And <laughs> you bring in the cash and I'm supposed to set that cash to the side so if this guy ever decides to leave, if it's my daughter, leaves my daughter, I have a cash supply. And it's not just 10 bucks. We're talking tens of thousands of dollars. When we were in Jordan, we had this tour guide in Jordan. He told me, this uh, tour guide, that he married this woman. And when he married this woman, he had to have a dinner for the whole family. There was 120 people. He had to pay for the whole thing. He had to have a gift for each one of the people that attended, 120 gifts. Not only that, but he had to come up with tens of thousands of dollars, I think $30,000 to give to the father so that if there was any kind of problems the father would have that money for his wife. He was no longer married to his wife. Guess what? He didn't get the $30,000 back either. And he didn't get all the camels back or whatever he gave to the family. I like this idea. You know, Ford F-250, I could see something like that, a little bit of cash on the side, some stocks and bonds. It would all be good. You know, we'll just set it to the side. If I have to move out my daughter from someplace, I have a truck that I can do that with. You know, I can justify, I can justify all of this. I think it's a great idea. And just think if we had that today. If we had that today, men would, I got to work hard for this woman. A lot of men, they don't want to work hard for the woman. That, that is what we're supposed to do. We are supposed to work for these women until we, it's that three-letter word, die. That's it. We're supposed to die. And when the woman sees, he's going to die for me. I love you so much. And she just falls in love with the guy because he's willing to die for her. That's the way it's supposed to work. Now, again, in society, on the college campuses, this is anathema. How dare you say that? But that's what God has in store for us. That's where the blessing comes through, is doing what he wants us to do. One final note about the divorce issue, Malachi chapter 2, verse 16. God simply says, I hate divorce. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 8, Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. You know, so he basically says, this is a sin to do this. And so we want to keep from committing those sins. And then I already talked the, about the cohabitating mothers that are there and the idea that they will split. That there is a higher unintended consequence of union disillusion if you have a child in just a cohabitating environment. And the percentages go up when you get married once, twice, or three times. The percentage go up. I think it's almost a 75% of the third marriage that your marriage will end in divorce. It's not that you necessarily find a better partner. The statistics go against everybody as far as divorce and remarriage. And then there are those who want to be mothers that can't. Proverbs 30, verse 15. The leech has two daughters. Give, give, they cry. There are three things that are never satisfied, four that never say enough. The grave, the barren womb, land that is never satisfied with water, and fire which never says enough. And so there are probably wannabe mothers out there, and they grieve. And when Mother's Day comes up, it is a difficult time for them, and they were never able to conceive children. And so there's a lot of grief that these women carry 
you know, like Rachel in the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 30, she was unable to conceive. God opened her womb eventually, but it was very difficult. And then there are mothers with estranged children. You can see how this can happen. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 3. It spells out, each of you must respect his, what do you think is first, father or mother? Each person must respect his mother is first. Now, why did God, why did God put the father there first? We all know that, you know, men need to be respected because women are not respected. And that's why he was telling the Jews, look, I'm telling you first your mother needs to be respected because it was their habit not to respect mom. She's only mom. You know, my mom, she, she would tell me, she was five foot one, and she would come up to me. She goes, you know, I can still get on a chair and knock you down. And I would, oh, you're so sweet, mom. You know, and I'd pick her up and set her down, you know. And, and, you know, it's great, but we're supposed to respect our mothers first, even before our fathers. Not that we don't respect our fathers, but we are to respect our mothers first. Exodus twenty-one seventeen says, anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. Why would he have to write this? Because there were people who were cursing their fathers and mothers. Hey, the Jews, hey, they, remember I have Jewish descent in me. And so this, this idea that these Jews, these stubborn, stiff-necked people, and God continually rebuked them, they weren't doing what they're supposed to do. And I'm out of time. Let me wrap it up. Application. Mothers weave our lives into the fabric of society to make a tapestry that defines who we are. That's what they do. When they wipe our noses and clean our bottoms and bathe us and feed us the cereal and we spit it out and we vomit. I just saw a picture of a mother who had the child on her shoulders and the child had just vomited all over her head. I saw another video of a mother who caught the vomit in her hands. You know, saying. That's mom. You know, you, you want to sign up to be a mom? That's just great. So advice for mothers. You know, if you're struggling as a mother, don't worry. Don't fret. Scripture says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things that you might worry about, your food and what you might wear, they'll all be taken care of for you. And if you've had a deadbeat husband in the past or your husband's deadbeat now or there is no husband, don't worry. The Lord knows. He wants to minister to you. And so you're supposed to take courage. Psalm 28, verse 7. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and I am helped. My heart leaps for joy and I will give thanks to him in song. And so no matter what trials we go through, remember, this is all coming to an end. And as I speak on that final note, I want to close by praying for Frank. Uh, He has entered the hospital. His pain is becoming severe. Even what they're giving him inside of the hospital is not helping very much. Cancer is taking over his body. He may not have long on this earth. And so we're going to want to pray for him, mothers, and for Trish. So let's do that right now. Let's bow. Father, I I want to lift up to you first Frank, who is in the hospital, who is suffering with pain. I ask, Lord, that you would relieve that pain. My first and foremost prayer is that you just heal him and he could walk out of there and the doctors would be dumbfounded and you would get all the glory. But, Father, we pray, but not always according to your will. So whatever your will is, I pray that you'd bring peace to Frank and to Trish, that you would bless her, Lord. It would be a hard road if this does not turn out well.
and help us to be uh, by her side, ministering to her, as well as Frank. And Father, for all mothers, may you bless them. May you encourage them. May you help them to see the benefit of what they do, how important they are, not only for us, but for our world. You have set them up in a special place. And I pray that you would help us as men and women to protect that and to honor that. In Jesus' name, amen.